Thank you for joining me for uh, this week's episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest this week is Ron Gula. Uh, Ron and I had gone way back, uh, I guess probably just from when, uh, from my tech journalism days, uh, uh, you know, reaching out to him as uh, CEO of, of Tenable and following up with questions about Nessus. Um, eventually, uh, we worked together for uh, briefly uh, when I was at Tenable before before he left to form uh, Gula Tech Adventures, which is uh, what he's out there doing now. So, welcome, Ron. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me on the inner circle. Much better than being on the outer circle. Well, I, I'd like to hope so. <laughs> um, so, I, I guess let's let's start off with um, just a little bit about, uh, I guess how you got here like what what's what how did you how did you get started in tech where you know and, and like i mean most of what i know about you is tenable oh i appreciate getting to tell uh the origin story right everybody needs to be able to tell their origin story because we're all superheroes right absolutely um i so i started out you know i had a, a pc growing up i had an atari 400 with a flat you know membrane screen and I always played video games, and I was always kind of, kind of cutting edge. You know, I think I was one of the first of my friends to have, uh, you know, a 300 baud dial-up modem. And, you know, I had parents who really encouraged, you know, that that whole tech angle. My dad was a, uh, in the Air Force, and uh, he was a uh, field engineer for IBM. He fixed, you know, the big mainframes and and uh, printing machines and whatnot. Um, but I really wanted to be a a fighter pilot, and I went into Air Force ROTC, Clarkson University, double E electrical engineer. And I went to flight school, and it, it turned out that I didn't do that well with uh, what I would consider medium-level G-forces. And um, that's not a good quality to have, you know, if you want to <laughs> fly in an F-16 or F-15. Uh, but I was always really good at computers, and I still wanted to serve the country. This is just in between both, you know, both Gulf Wars. And so I basically went to, you know, officer communication school. I uh, was learning, got to work at uh, Scott Air Force Base at the Air Force Command Control Computer and Communications Agency, you know, doing things like, uh, you know, phone dial-up, uh, you know, wireless communication, SATCOM, that that sort of thing. But while I was there, uh, The Cuckoo's Egg had come out, Cliff Stoll's book. I read that book, and and in that book, they talk about how he talks to certain people at the National Security Agency, and I basically said, I want to I go work at that group. And I was able to figure out, you know, how to work there while still serving in the Air Force. And I got to go work there basically doing what today we call red team pen testing. But at the time, it was information warfare, you know, offensive, uh, you know, pen tests and whatnot. Uh, one of the people there you had on your show last week, Jeff Mann. Jeff, Jeff Mann and I have been friends a long time. We were in that group called, called The Pit. 
And to make a long story short, that experience doing penetration testing at the NSA, learning from people who basically invented, you know, computer security, uh, really framed my career in cyber for like the next 20, 25 years. Very cool. So, so I'll start off with first. Uh, you and I, uh, when 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 I was coming to work for Tenable, uh, you know, I I drove over to uh, San Antonio to have dinner with you, and uh, we were talking about Air Force because I had a similar uh, sort of you know, origin in terms of going into the Air Force, where like uh, I got out of high school, started to go to college, um, decided I wasn't really sure what I even wanted to do there. But I really liked the movie Top Gun, so I decided I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, I joined the Air Force um, as an enlisted, uh, you know, as, as an airman with the uh, anticipation that I was going to apply for the Air Force Academy from within. Because, um, you know, my, my recruiter sold me on this concept that it's really hard to get into the academy, but there's a certain number of spots that are reserved for people who are already enlisted in the Air Force. And therefore, it might actually be an easier path in from there. Um, it turned out I really don't know if it was or was not easier because what happened is I got my endorsement letter from a captain. We got all the paperwork. We submitted everything. I waited to hear back and uh, didn't. And then eventually followed up to be like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, well, we got your package eventually, but there was some kind of delay in the mail and it missed the deadline. So uh, try again next year. And, <laughs> and at that point, I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll just I'll just do my enlisted thing. Um but while I was enlisted, I was deployed. Uh, I was deployed to Inchulik Air Force Base in uh, Turkey during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And at the end, uh, and this, this, I'm just going back now to your 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 part about how you found out you you weren't were, weren't real good with uh, the G forces. Uh, at the end, they awarded a certain number of incentive flights uh, to to different shops on the on the base. And I got the incentive flight for, for my shop. And so I got to go fly in an F-111 out over the Mediterranean through the mountains of Turkey. And uh, I have to, I'd have to go back and review the video because I, 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 this might be one of those fishtail things where I'm exaggerating it. But I want to say we did seven Gs. So the FB-111 is a beautiful airplane. For people who don't know, if they've seen Top Gun, it looks a lot like the F-14, but it's a little bit bigger. And um, that's a pretty cool airplane, responsible for a wide variety of UFO sightings all across America at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it also ended up be being, its, it's, it's slow impending demise ended up being uh, basically why I got out of the Air Force, because they, uh, they shut down RAF Upper Hayford, they shut down RAF Lake and Heath, um, they were starting to phase the doubt, and it got to the point where basically the only base I could be at really was Cannon Air, Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico because my job code was tied to the F-111. Even even though the 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 ALQ-131 uh, ECM pod that I was working on existed on other jets, I mean, wh while I was at uh, Intralic during Desert Storm, I was fixing the same pod for F-15s and F-16s and, and mm -hmm. every other jet out there. But for whatever reason, there was one job code for ALQ-131s on the F-111, and then another job code for ALQ-131s on every other jet. And, and for, our, for our listeners, clearly our experience with the Air Force acronyms enabled us to have a career in cybersecurity. <laughs> yes. 
uh, I, I'm not even, I, I, ECM, I could tell you what it is. I, I have no idea what the ALQ part was about. Uh, ECM was just electronic countermeasures. Um, so anyway, no, so that's, so that's kind of the, you know, my, my Air Force uh, origin story as well. And, and uh, you know, sort of a similar, similar background we have uh, of sorts. It took me a little longer to get into IT after getting out of the Air Force, though. Um, the DOD and the government have been great sources of talent for IT. Um, you know, it, we, we all can't serve, you know, 25, 30 years in the, you know, in, in, in the armed services. So a lot of times you get to a point and somebody knows a lot about IT, they're getting out and joining the civilian workforce. And I think it's a, it's definitely an asset to the country. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you, when, when you got out, um, you know, ten, Tenable wasn't your first stop. So, so where, where'd you go from there? So I left, uh, left the Air Force, and I joined a company called uh, BBN, Bolt, Burr, Mac, and Newman. They are the ones who get credited with creating the internet, you know, putting the at sign and the email addresses, um, doing a lot of the early uh, crypto packet switching, and I worked doing rapid development of uh, prototyping of, of uh, in, in, back then it was information security stuff, but it was basically cyber stuff. We did um, uh, sniffing tools. We did honeypots. Uh, we did a lot of these different things that, um, you know, we had a variety of customers asking for that. Um, the honeypot was probably the coolest one because I got to work on it with uh, with uh, Mar- Marty Resch, um, you know, the the uh, the author of uh, Sword uh, Fire Snort. Yes. And uh, so that was really cool to to look at those kind of problems and be able to turn to people within BBN. We basically been doing this for like 15, 20 years, just kind of inventing and researching and 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 um, and doing stuff. So I really enjoyed that. While I was there, I got recruited to go work at what I consider the first cloud company, U.S. Internetworking. Uh, this was in Annapolis, Maryland, and they had the crazy idea of actually hosting enterprise apps and delivering the service on a usage basis, um, you know, to people over the internet. And and this is back when you know networks were 10 megabit, right? So the concept of Shared email, shared cloud services was not something new, and they were doing it with, um, you know, massive products like uh, PeopleSoft, you know, and Oracle. And uh, while I was there, I was using ISS Real Secure. And I had an incident one day where I wanted to change the rules of ISS Real Secure, and I realized I couldn't do that. So I had the idea to do the Dragon Intrusion Detection System, and came home one day, asked my wife about uh, starting a company, and, and um, we basically started Network Security Wizards. And that was our first company, which was eventually acquired by Enterasys Networks. Very cool. So then let's, uh, let, let's step forward then. How, how did you uh, decide to start Tenable? And, kind of what, and, and, and let's go over a little bit of the, the relationship between Tenable and Nessus, because they're in in some in some realms synonymous and yet not. So when we did uh, Tenable, I can I can rewind it a little bit more. So the the company that acquired Network Security Wizards was was Interasis Networks, and on the acquisition team was was Jack Hufford. So Jack Hufford actually came to Columbia, Maryland, Maryland to look at our our books, our source code, you know, look at you know evaluate the company. And um, once the acquisition happened, I got to know Jack pretty well. He was based up in, in Massachusetts. And um, 
you know, Jack knew a lot about business. And even though I had done, you know, the different things after leaving the Air Force, you know, we were really hitting it off. I was teaching him a lot about cyber, um, you know, and it turned out that uh, he had a reason to to be in D.C. He was um, in the process of, of, of seeing someone. And I kind of jokingly said, boy, wouldn't it be great if we started a company? And um, it all worked out. You know, so we started uh, Tenable Network Security. Um, we had, uh, you know, Renaud Darrison uh, was a founder. Uh, my wife, Cindy, was uh, sort of employee number one. We were very sensitive to husband and wife kind of being on the, the, the front page. Uh, but we quickly were using her for, you know, a lot of uh, HR facilities, you know, everything that you do when you start a, start a company up. Um, I mentioned Renault, and Renault obviously is the author and, and uh, the creator of the Nessus vulnerability scanner. And I had done some integrations with uh, Nessus and Dragon. I had known Renault and talk about timing and being in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, our trajectory, what we wanted to do with, uh, you know, with, with, with Tenable, you know, our ability to, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, bring a product to market and not have to go, you know, get outside capital right away. It was, everything was just in the right place at the right time. And uh, we were quite a, uh, a, a really good team. And uh, initially, the commercial product was something that we called Lightning. And Lightning was sort of the management console that became Tenable's security center. And Nessus was, of course, you know, open source and something that we put a lot of pride, effort, and uh, and and support uh, into. And that's kind of how we started off uh, Tenable Network Security. Okay, so I, I actually just had a conversation earlier uh, with someone. Uh, we were talking about open source in general, um, and I was explaining that early on in my IT and IT journalism career. Um, I wasn't anti-open source, but I wasn't pro-open source. I mean, given given the choice between, say, Windows and Linux, I would always I would choose Windows. And uh, one of the arguments I used to I used to try to make uh, unsuccessfully was that uh, you know I just felt like it would it, it would be more secure because if you've got the code and it's just out there and everyone can review it, then well, of course I can find the vulnerabilities. It's 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 available. I can just look. Um, and but then I had people who were pro-open source tell me. Yes, but you've got, you know, hundreds, thousands of eyeballs that are looking for those vulnerabilities, and therefore it's more secure because you've got, you know, more people to address it. Um, and uh, you know, now, now, and this is a tangent we don't have to go down, but um, I'm, I'm actually working on an idea for for writing uh, a post about how that's true it's true that you know it's 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 arguably more secure because of the eyeballs until it's not um because you know what happens is the 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 open source projects that are very popular very well known have have very active communities that's all fine and dandy but you've also got open source tools where there might be an uh, active community early on but then kind of interest wanes and it's still out there but nobody's really taking care of it and and ultimately no one's truly responsible for taking care of it um at which point it becomes a potential uh, uh supply chain attack type uh, issue um but anyway that that is not the path i wanted to go down what i was going going to say is that uh you mentioned uh uh, uh marty roche and uh snort uh snort and Nessus and Nmap um, are are you know household name tools that uh, 
you know, establish themselves as the leaders in their in their fields. And when you go to like the 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 SecTools.org uh, site with the top seventy five tools, I mean, you know, those three tools have basically been somewhere in the top five since it was launched. You know, they kind of move around a little bit, but you know, they're they're right up there. And and there's all kinds of other vulnerability scanners out there. Um, you know, but Nessus is still kind of the, you know, the de facto standard uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, what I would uh, wanted to bring up, and I, I mentioned this to you a little bit before we uh, started recording, you know, Nessus, uh, you know, Tenable very, you know, famously uh, in uh, 2005, I think it was, um, made the decision to closed source Nessus. It was already, it was, it was an open source project. It was, you know, very popular. And Tenable said, you know what, we're really the only, and you can correct me on this if, you, if I'm wrong, but basically said, we're really the, 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 the main contributors to this. Uh, you know, yes, it's open source, but it's really Tenable that's, that's building and running and designing this. We're gonna bring it in in-house uh, and, you know, so we can, you know, control it better and take advantage of, of that uh, and, and monetize it better. Chef this week uh, kind of went, you know, they went the other way. They went the kind of the path of Red Hat of saying, okay, we have all these tools. We're going to make them all open source. Um, and then we're just going to, you know, we're going to like basically sell ourselves as the uh, enterprise consultants and, and implementers. Um, so, you know, so if you are a company out there and you want to use Chef, uh, but you, 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 want to be able to buy it, uh, you can still hire chef and they'll do that for you, but it is now open source. And so, uh, I've rambled enough. I want to hear your thoughts on kind of the, the open source <laughs> model and kind of the decision, the decision by Tenable to pull Nessus in. And, you know, what are your thoughts on like the business model that chef is doing now, or that Red Hat has been doing, or at least was doing prior to being you know acquired by IBM? Yeah, so you hit on a lot of a lot of things there. And if we were playing um, operating system cyber bingo drinking game, I'd I'd have my beer would be gone. Um, the so the first thing as far as open source versus you know closed source, um, y- you know it's interesting. The dynamic today is people don't care. Uh, if I use Google Chrome for example, y- you know nobody cares that the source codes. Or even a better example is KeePass, right? I can download KeePass. The source code's there. Very few people are going to download the source code and hand compile KeePass and uh, and use it, even though there's nothing there. And what's more interesting is when you start talking about Microsoft or Apple or these closed source kind of platforms, you know, you, you really don't know what they're doing with your data on the back end. You you'll see the CEOs talk about how we're secure and you know where data is important, privacy is there. But then you talk to any reverse engineer or, or people who develop zero days, and you you find out that these you know, the, the cameras on their phone are for spying on people and not for, um, you know, making video calls, right? So so I think it's a really interesting thing. Um, open source gives you clarity without a doubt to know what code you're running. And otherwise, you just you just, you just just really don't. Um, now, when it comes to Tenable and, uh, and Nessus, you know, we, we it was interesting. A lot of people don't realize this. When you offer a commercial product and there's open source technology in it, you typically have to enter into a certain amount of indemnification to the customers you're selling. And and this is people, some people say BS and some people will say whatever. But what I'm telling you is that if you're going to sell a service or a product to a Fortune 2000 company, they're going to be worried about somebody suing them for infringement and not a small company. 
So one of the reasons of doing a closed source was to kind of get around that. Um, but the major reason was that we had a lot of people using that technology against us. And, you know, the day we announced, uh, you know, kind of closed sourcing the, the, this stuff, um, you know, we had a number of companies basically, okay, you just kind of blew up my business model. Um, I mean, uh, managed scanners, uh, people who are embedding Nessus and NACs, uh, people who were doing, uh, you know, all sorts of, of, uh, of use cases. You know, if they can't count on that, it's, 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 um, it's, it's uh, something that uh, really affects their business. But the thing that we got absolutely right, I think anybody who's, who's looking at, at history lessons here, is that we communicated this really, really well. Um, when we announced it, we told people exactly what we were going to do. We also introduced a, a home feed um, and a uh, 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 well, we actually had a couple iterations. We had this, this delayed feed, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the point is we had an education feed. We had a, a, a delayed feed for, for free usage. And we eventually found out that the, the delayed feed People were just, they'd rather scan with seven-day-old vulnerabilities than pay for the most latest, which is the wrong behavior. So we kind of we kind of got rid of that. So so we did all that. And in hindsight, you know, it really allowed Tenable to continue to make the investment in everything that Nessus needs to do to do mobile devices, to do cloud, to do virtual scanning, to do, uh, you know, endpoint, iOS, all these things that, that we just couldn't have open sourced and and, uh, and and done that. So I have no no real regrets there. Now the last thing is is you talk about Chef and how they went and they 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 had they they adopted where they're going to open source everything. You know, there's if if a lot of your competitors are open source, it kind of makes sense to to throw that out there. Now I'm not going to pretend to be a DevOps, SecOps, you know, kind of person. I'm not. You know, I've invested in a couple of companies there, but I've never run a DevOps team. But my impression is that the majority of the things you want to do in that space are free already. And um, a lot of people have some really, really powerful solutions for scripting that. If you look at Salt, uh, uh, Salt Security, for example, right? A vast majority of what they do, which is a lot like Chef, it's basically free. So the decision for them to go open source is not one of altruism or giving back to the community. It's one that most of the people in that space are using open source technology to drive uh, to drive what they're doing. Um, but clearly Red Hat, IBM, they have the ability to help people migrate to the cloud. And, um, you know, there's a lot of strategy, a lot of structure, a lot of uh, navigation of, you know, which platforms you want to go. There's a lot of opportunity to really add value to a customer. It's not about selling so software anymore. It's about, you know, having the right path to the cloud. Yeah. Well, and I, I also think when it comes to that model, um, there are companies out there like, you know, when I when I was at EDS, uh, you know, my main client customer was General Motors. I was, you know, I was, I was basically doing endpoint security for General Motors. And at some point we had a conversation about uh, open source. I don't remember in what context. And the response from General Motors was was something to the effect of, well, no, we need we need to throat to choke. There has to be somebody I can call at 3 a.m. and say, your software is broken. Um, and so even if they could get it for free, they don't really want it for free <laughs> because they want they, they, they want to be able to call Chef and tell them that they need to fix it. Yeah, and that's a, you know, you, you sort of flip the, the, the argument there. So let's say you write a line of source code. Uh, so you, you have a, a hundred lines of source code, you put it out there. Hey Tony, you're awesome. Um, I'm putting it in my 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 widget over here. But by the way, I need you to add 
um, a couple lines of code. And you're like, well, why don't you fork it and go do it yourself? Like, well, I'm giving back, you know. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the more you start delivering, you have a community of users and not a community of developers. And, and you start getting into these sort of battles of control and, um, you know, almost religious wars of who's going to be in charge of what. And, you know, I mean, one, one day we actually had somebody submit a vulnerability, uh, you know, for, for a vulnerability for Check for Nessus where they actually changed the logic so that their stuff didn't get detected as vulnerable. I'm like, that's not good, <laughs> right? So, um, so, you know, there's things like that that, uh, that you have to deal with. Um, but for the most part, I, I got to tell you, I mean, we haven't talked about, you know, what we're doing at, at uh, Google Tech Adventures, but every one of my companies struggles with, should we have an open source component? Is it something people want? You know, can we use it in our cloud SaaS service? Um, it's alive and well, but it's a non-issue. It really isn't. Most people can code. They can, they can either write the code, get the licenses they needed, or they can use open source and just declare GPL or BSD on the back end. Very cool. Um, go ahead. Did you, are you, were you going to say something? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, 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 you mentioned, uh, Gula tech, uh, adventures. So let's, uh, let's segue over there. So, um, you know, when, when you left Tenable, uh, uh, you and your wife, I believe, you know, launched, uh, Gula tech adventures as a, uh, would you call it a VC or is it angel? Like, uh, does it matter? So it it, uh, it does matter, and it is it is me and Cindy. And uh, what what happened is so when you when you go through fundraising, typically you start off and you get some um, some seed funding um, from people who are gonna. You might sell stock, you might sell a note, which is basically a loan that could convert to stock later. Um, you might even have to do a couple rounds of uh, of these loans in order to you know to fixate on on a point where someone's going to write something material perhaps a million dollars perhaps 3 million dollars where they they agree on two numbers they agree on what your company what you're going to what you're going to sell and what the company's worth and um, so you might hear hey somebody raised 8 million dollars but you don't know what the valuation was was it 100 million dollars was it eight, you know if the valuation was 8 million dollars and they raised eight they sold their company right um so the question is 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 as you start moving up that levels of investment you get into these price rounds where you're actually buying stock and not taking out these uh these notes so a lot of times if you hear somebody say hey we're doing angel investing um you know the dollar sizes are small maybe fifty thousand dollars maybe twenty five thousand dollars maybe a hundred thousand dollars it might be a consortium of investors it might be a syndicate and it's probably basically a loan um, so we did a couple things like that while we were at Tenable, and you know one of them was uh, ThreatGrid, which is a very advanced you know malware sandbox that Cisco ended up acquiring, and we ended up making kind of a 10x return on the investment. We had done a couple other investments, and we didn't get the return, but we still made more money overall than at, at than than as we started out. And and I kind of looked at you know we were very successful at Tenable. We had the ability to kind of act as a sophisticated venture capital or as a series, you know, seed investor. And uh, my wife and I, Cindy, we, we just decided to start Google Tech Adventures. Um, we do a wide variety of investing. We've been doing more and more price rounds, uh, you know, A rounds as of late. And uh, we've actually done a number of investments. We're up to about 30, 30 investments right now. We've had two exits already. We're going to be announcing two more probably in the next month or two. 
Uh, so we've, you know, we've been very lucky uh, to do this and just kind of be in, in the industry and I think make a difference. You know, we don't, we don't have enough cyber people and we don't have a technolog- enough technology to, to, to keep us secure. So I think we're doing our part and kind of helping keeping the nation uh, secure here. Yeah, well, and yeah, you know, I I had not. I mean, I I've, I've been aware of what you're doing, and I, I and I'm also aware of. Um, I, I'm very aware of some of the the companies you're working with. Um, I had never actually gone to the website until today to look at like the whole list of companies uh, that you're working with. Um, I mean, so like just as an example, uh, you know, like Stack Rocks. Stack Rocks is actually a sponsor of my website. Uh, so you know, thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, I had a conversation recently uh, with Scythe. I'm actually working on uh, a story uh, for my Forbes uh, content about, about Scythe. Uh, and then uh, uh, Threat Care, uh, uh, Marcus Carey was on uh, the podcast, uh, I don't know, about a month ago. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in, in tech. Uh, actually, just he's one of my favorite people, uh, definitely one of my favorite people in tech. Um, I mean, Marcus, Marcus is awesome, um, but uh, yeah, I'll have to kind of you know go through here and take a closer look at at, at some of these other companies. But um, I guess along those lines, one of the things I wanted to to get into with you was sort of the you know I guess first of all, like how are how how do these come to your desk? Like, are you going out and seeking them? Are people are you getting a hundred pitches a day? Um, and then as you're as you're reviewing them, what catches your attention? What, what, what are you looking for? What are you hoping to create? So the reason why we have a website and we're so public about it is so people are, can find us. You know, when we uh, speak, when we you know, do blog entries, when we do even an interview, interview like this, there's a lot of aspiring cyber people who might not know, you know, sort of our backstory and, uh, you know, don't know how approachable Cindy and I are. And, you know, we'll just have people straight up email us. Um, you know, Hey, I've got this idea. Um, I'm working on this. I'm like, Hey, maybe it's really early. Why don't you go talk to this angel network that's in your city? You know, uh, maybe they're Baltimore, maybe they're DC and I can talk to them or maybe I can do a WebEx or something, but that's, that's, that's fine. So we're constantly getting, um, you know, inundated is the wrong, I, I, I get seriously probably four to five pitch decks a week and we, we get them from a couple other sources. So uh, one of the things we do is we try not to do investments by ourselves. We try to always do another uh, you know, bring at least one or two other, either what I consider, you know, active, uh, angels, people who are sitting CTOs, CEOs, uh, at other companies. Like for example, when we did Scythe, um, you know, Dimitri from, uh, CrowdStrike, the CTO, as well as Oliver, uh, you know, the former CEO of Phantom, uh, are, are, are both investors. And, uh, and that's very powerful, you know, but how do you engage them? It's, it's not like you can call them every day and stuff, but so, so that's a lot of what we do. How, how can you bring that sort of, um, you know, people in there. But then we'll also work with what I would consider traditional VCs, people who have uh, investors, managing partners, investment committees, you know, that sort of thing. And we've done probably about eight or nine uh, different companies. So we've done Clear Skies, GrowTech, uh, Strategic Cyber Ventures, uh, Blues, really active in uh, the DC, Maryland uh, area. Uh, we've, we've got a couple of tech operators now, which is which is pretty good. It's it's uh, one of the principals there is Tom Newton, one of the former uh, ISS you know CEOs. So. Um, so it's great to have this kind of thing. And then what will happen is you share, you know, it's not like there's a, a, a secret, you know, hall of justice or legion of doom where you sort of, you know, vet these things, but you end up do vetting them. 
And there's a lot of different areas. Uh, we'll, 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 sometimes I have standing meetings with other companies. Sometimes there's Slack channels. And it's amazing that what you can see a, a, an entrepreneur is working hard. They'll work, they'll work the industry. And we're like, yeah, I, I finally got a call from that, that lady. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. Or maybe you see a deal and it's so good, you want to work on it with you and maybe just one other partner. You don't want to uh, share. It's tough. You know, it's tough. It's part of the part of the business. How do you balance that? Um, so that's that's kind of what we do. Um, anybody who's interested in the entrepreneur side, I, I can tell you there's five basic things that we're looking for. You know, what, what problem are you solving? How do you solve it? Show me show me some proof of what you do. Tell, tell me what you're going to do with the money. And then finally, what's your vision of success? You know, do you want to, the world to know your name? Do you want to get a simple exit? And uh, if you can't answer those five questions, I probably don't want to work with you. Um, but at the same time, if you don't know how to answer those questions, at least I can get you thinking about that. You could pro- probably be a more uh, more successful entrepreneur. All right. Um, you know, so I mentioned, uh, you know, Threat Care and, and, and Marcus Carey. And when, and when I had Marcus on, uh, the reason uh, was uh, primarily to talk about the the, tri- the tribe of hackers book, which had uh, just come out at the time. Um, and uh, you are, uh, as, as was Jeff and Jack. I, I'm, I guess I'm just working my way through the book now. So you are you are also a contributor in in uh, tribe of hackers. Uh, that's actually not a bad idea. I should just go and like hit hit up, hit up all these people on email and see who wants to be a guest on the podcast. Um, so the, the funny thing is one of our portfolio companies is called Polarity, and they can do augmented reality on your desktop. So you tell it what data you want, perhaps like virus total or reversing labs, or in my case, LinkedIn connections. And I actually did an example in the blog entry. I pulled up the table of contents of Tribe of Hackers, and I was LinkedIn with about half the people in there. So I was quite happy about that. So I think Marcus did a really good job. Uh, you know, reaching out to the industry and getting a really diverse set of perspectives on what does it mean to be cyber? Yeah, well, and I really, I mean, you know, I, he and I talked about how uh, Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Mentors, was kind of the the genesis of, of this book because it is a similar concept. Um, but the thing I really loved love about it is the idea of taking like basically the same set of questions, but you know, asking them to, you know, 70 different people. And, and it, it's interesting to kind of go through tribe of hackers and see where there's, you know, basically complete agreement, uh, versus, you know, where there's, you know, different responses to the same question and, and kind of what's the overlap. Um, uh, but it's, 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 it's very cool. I think to get, uh, all of those different perspectives in one book. And I think, you know, as, as Marcus has, has pitched it, uh, on, on, social media uh, over and over again um it's it's a phenomenal resource i think for someone who's thinking about getting into cybersecurity. yeah it, it, i was really happy to be involved with that because the cyber industry in general does a really bad job recruiting people to the cyber industry and talking to people who are not in the cyber industry because we don't speak with one voice and there's many aspects to cyber uh there's there's even a lot of as you mentioned disagreement on what does it mean to be secure so, um, so it's nice to have that, have that out there. It, at least it didn't, I was concerned at first it was going to be a little bit like these, uh, self-help, uh, you know, medical health, uh, you know, how to lose weight in 20 days and how to quit smoking and sleep better. And it's like, no, no, it was really good. There's a good variety of advice in, in that book. Yeah. Well, and 
I'll have to go back and double check the timeline because I, I don't believe, I, I wrote a blog post or uh, I think it was a Medium post. No, it was a LinkedIn. I think it's, it's on LinkedIn. I wrote an article on LinkedIn um, called something like uh, There Is No Right Way. And I believe I did it before or at least without knowledge of this book. Um, but it sort of is, you know, it kind of recounts a little bit of my origin story. And because I was thinking along the same lines of, you know, Someone, someone had had asked me, and I, I don't remember where the conversation had taken place, but someone had asked me about getting into cybersecurity or like how I got into cybersecurity, and I was kind of like, ah, really, kind of on accident. <laughs> like, I was like, if you, if there, there wasn't like a direct path. I mean, I went from high school to the Air Force to doing, you know, direct mail sales to, you know, I just kind of bounced around, and I never, I never. I never set out with like a goal, like I'm going to, I'm going to do cybersecurity now. Um, and I think that, you know, when you go through the, when you go through Tribe of Hackers and you read the different stories, I think it's, you know, or I hope that it's encouraging for someone who's uh, considering a, a, a career to see that there isn't a path. There isn't like a, well, you have to do this if you want to be in cybersecurity. Like people come from all over the place, no matter what their background is. I mean, people had entirely different careers. And then just one day we're like, you know what? I think I'm going to do cybersecurity. This is one of the reasons we invested in Cybrary because you can, if you have any interest in cyber, you go to cybrary.it and you can, if you want to jump in and take an ISC squared assist course, knock yourself out, do that. But if you want to learn like pen testing 101 or malware reverse engineering or secure programming uh, or even a certification like, you know, Cisco. Um, you can just do it and basically take the course for free, find if it's your calling or not, and uh, and, and and then move on from there. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, Cyber, cyber is, a, is, is a great resource. And, and you know, and, and one of the things that uh, one of the other things that I really loved about you know the whole approach to tribe of hackers is the fact that they're giving the money to charity so it's not like you know Mar marcus didn't set out to find 70 people who could write a book for him so that he could make money um and uh and and the fact that they made the book available via pdf as well so it's like look you don't even have to buy the book like you know, here that you you can have the information for free yeah i think it'd be interesting i have not seen it but take the pdf and um start doing some, uh, you know, data and, you know, word frequency analysis on the, excuse me, very, an, various answers to the same questions and see, see how that maps out. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some interesting bell curves there that we could, we could look at. Yeah. yeah it would be interesting. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to wind down, but I wanted to, I guess, first of all, I'd like you to let, uh, listeners know sort of you know, where can they find you? Where can they catch up with you? Whether that's LinkedIn or Twitter or email. Um, and then if you're going to be anywhere, like the next, the next anywhere that I plan on being from a cybersecurity perspective, I think is probably Black Hat, but I know there's a hundred things between now and then. Yes, I'll be at, I'll be at Black Hat, but uh, if people don't know about the website, so it's uh, Gula is my last name, G-U-L-A. So you can go to www.gula.tech, T-E-C-H as in Gula Tech Adventures. And I got the list of all the portfolio companies. We got a couple hundred blog entries, interviews with uh, the founders of the companies, some thought leadership pieces, and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm doing a variety, I'm trying to do a lot of non-cyber stuff right now, because I've really been trying to speak at places that are not cybersecurity-centric. 
so my wife and I are actually speaking at a YPO event um, pretty soon and uh, a number of other events. Uh, like the way actually spoke at a real estate convention, believe it or not. And um, uh, literally we got a question that if I have two-factor authentication, how does my admin use it? Because my admin has my password. You know, so that's kind of what we're dealing with at, at, at some of these things. So we're just trying to, you know, raise more awareness than just purely, uh, you know, speaking at cyber uh, places. Which is cool. I mean, you know, it, it definitely gets to be a bit of a, a bubble. I mean, it's the same the same vendors and the same people that just go from city to city to have the same conversation. It, it is. And uh, but it's, it's good. I mean, it, it's OK to be in the bubble and learn because you can't learn everything. And it, you know, it takes that 10,000 man hours to master something and it, it's okay, be it. But just we, people in cyber should realize that people who are outside of cyber do not think the way we do and do not perceive the same threats we do. And, um, you know, all, all the internal cyber blog posts and even podcasts like this, you know, I just, it's, 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 it's good to, to do, but it's, we got to get the word out to non-cyber people. Right. And, and and that's actually probably a very interesting exercise for really anyone in cyber to, to, to step outside of that bubble, because I think it would it would uh, kind of educate and inform your your perspective. Like, you know, because, you know, I, I'll think one way it, as long as I'm in the bubble, it's like I can go, OK, well, we can just do this, this and this and then we'll all be secure. And then I can go have a conversation with my, you know, with my father in law and go, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely have some uh, technical acumen uh, based on the age of who you're talking to. But I tell people, if you got time, and I know everybody doesn't have all the time, but if you got the time, uh, go speak at a high school. You know, go speak at a a Girl Scout, Boy Scout troop. Go speak at your church. Uh, Go volunteer at your local uh, election office. Go volunteer at your whoever's whoever's in power. Doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Go to go go to your state capital. And uh, and see if you can meet anybody. And just say, hey, I, I'm here to be a resource. I mean, every state is thinking about a legislation like California as far as privacy goes. Uh, some states are thinking about, you know, mandating things like NIST cybersecurity framework gives you a a, a, a maximum liability for cyber uh, stuff. That's I mean, that's huge. Um, but if these laws are written poorly, or or you know, you know, and I mean, you know, we as a nation, we've got a, a history of you know laws that don't implement the things that we they thought they were going to, and and we need to volunteer. We need to be more involved. So uh, it's a great way to share and speak outside that bubble. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining me, Ron. It was good to catch up, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, I'll see you at Black Hat. Tony, I'll see you at Black Hat. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, thank you for all the Inner Circle listeners. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, Let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.